Welcome to the Story Talks Back. Almost everything that we remember, think about, or imagine is a story. Stories entertain us, inform us, and even define us. They have upsides, and they have downsides. This podcast explores the power of story in every aspect of our lives. I'm Dave Stanton. Thank you for joining us. Danny Shapiro is the author of 11 books and is the host and creator of the hit podcast Family Secrets. Her most recent novel, Signal Fires, was named a Best Book of 2022 by Time Magazine, Washington Post, Amazon, and others, and it's a national bestseller. The paperback edition of Signal Fires will publish in October, and Danny is currently working on a television adaptation of the book. She's also the author of a series of moving, insightful memoirs, most recently Inheritance, which became an instant New York Times bestseller and was named a best book of 2019 by Vanity Fair, Wired, and others. Both Signal Fires and Inheritance were winners of the National Jewish Book Award. Danny's book on the process and craft of writing, Still Writing, has just been reissued on the occasion of its 10th anniversary. Well, hey, Danny, thank you so much for joining me again on the Story Talks Back. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be with you, Dave. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk, uh, we had talked before about storytelling and storytellers in your past. And so we sort of talked about, you know, Mrs. Kushner and certain things uh, that were very much uh, historical or you know, tied to your own biography, but were there certain fiction writers or certain novels, certain stories in that sense that were really kind of crucial to you as you were developing and, you know, emerging as a storyteller yourself? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, the first, the first book that comes to mind, um, was from, I don't know, childhood or middle school, which was Judy Bloom's Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Um, I actually um, had the opportunity to meet her uh, a couple of years ago. She introduced me at a reading at a bookstore that she owns. And it was really like meeting a rock star, you know, like my, my rock star. Right. And I think, And I think with that book, it was because, I mean, as it was true for generations and generations, um, mostly of you know of girls and 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 young women, the feeling of um, being seen and known and understood that Margaret had um, an inner life that I recognized and um, and I think I don't know that I had a conscious awareness that story can do that. But certainly it was acting upon me. You know, the story was doing that. Storytelling was giving me that feeling of being less alone in the world. Um, and I think that may have planted a seed. But it, it, in terms of once I was developing as a writer and was conscious of developing as a writer, um, yeah, there were there were a number of, of, of fiction writers who 
whose work I gravitated to. Um, uh, Virginia Woolf is, is I mean, I've, I've gravita- gravitated toward her work and reread her um, just about every year. Um, Grace Paley was my teacher at Sarah Lawrence. And um, she was such an extraordinary short story writer. And, um, you know, her stories were these little jewels. You could just see what could be done in such economical language. Um, and then others, I mean, it's just changed over the years. There was a, a writer named Carol Mazo, who I was obsessed with when I was um, just starting out. Um, and I haven't revisited her work in recent years, but I wonder how I would feel about her work today because it's very lush and poetic and incantatory and uses a great deal of repetition. And I've kind of moved away from being interested in that kind of work and have been much more um, interested both in my own work and in in what I read, uh, very lean, very, um, you know, precise language. Um, I used to think that, you know, if one metaphor was good, then three strung together would be even better. (laughs) And that is definitely not something that I, that I, that I feel anymore. Were there any writers who you felt were sort of like your talismans for signal fires, like writers who you really felt were in the spirit of the book or, or really informing you? Yes, a few. Um, Wolf, for sure, um, and her relationship to time um, and, and the way that um, you know, what I was trying to do in Signal Fires in terms of the way that time moves. Um, there was a novel by Charlie Baxter that I thought about a bit. I didn't, I didn't revisit it, but I thought about it. And that was um, his novel, um, The Feast of Love. Um, interesting. I, I, I read Richard Powers' most recent novel, Bewilderment, after um, I had finished Signal Fires and Yet those two books, Bewilderment and Signal Fires, really speak to each other in so many ways. It's eerie. Um, what else? Mm, perhaps a little bit. Um, there, there was a a book by Joan Silber that came out um, decades ago called Ideas of Heaven: A Ring of Stories. Um, that I actually do want to reread that really plays with the idea of um, what lasts over time and what connect like what connects different time periods to mm-hmm. to each other. Um, but you know I I started Signal Fires 15 years ago and I and I returned to it um, in the early days of the pandemic. So I think when I started it, I had different thoughts and influences. Um, I was very committed to telling the story backward in, in structurally. I was I was writing it chronologically backward in time, and and I was very committed to that idea. And it was a completely flawed idea. Um, but at the time, I was thinking about Martin Amos's Times Arrow. Um, there, there was, I think one book by Charlie Baxter that moved backwards in time. Um, it's funny. I was actually at a, um, 
uh, at a, uh, speaking at a luncheon um, just the other day in Phoenix, Arizona, with a few other writers, and I was telling the story of trying to write Signal Fires backward in time and how impossible and flawed that is. And Rebecca Mackay was there, and Rebecca said, "Oh, one of one of my early books does that." Um, so I'm actually very curious to 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 read that book and 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 see how that worked for me. What happened was I ran out of runway. Um, uh, there's a character is my favorite character in the book, um, this boy named Waldo. And when he's born on New Year's Eve of 1999, if I kept on moving backward in time, then there would be no more Waldo unless I was getting completely metaphysical. And <laughs> that was the moment that I realized that I had no idea what I was doing, that I had written these two really I knew they were good. I knew I knew it was some of the best writing I'd ever done. I I knew the characters. I I I felt them deeply. The the first, not the very opening of Signal Fires, not that very very beginning, but once we ent- enter that that night in 2010 and then that that New Year's Eve night of 1999, I wrote those pages 15 years ago. So when I returned and I never thought I would return I mean, there were so many, so many reasons that this book would never have existed, um, if not for um, really some of some of the life that I lived in the decade, you know, between my discovery about my father, the the realization that um, the, the deep understanding of the ways in which our lives are um, so interdependent and 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 connected, and sometimes. We don't know why. We don't know why someone seems so familiar to us or why a perfect stranger can seem like someone that we have a profound connection with. Um, these were things that I thought a great deal about in, in the ensuing years from the time I started the book until I picked it up again. Um, my husband um, had cancer. Um, I learned a great deal about what it is to be, you know, moving along in, you know, what Joan Didion describes as, you know, sort of, um, the ordinary instant, um, and and then wake up one day and have your life upended. Um, and then finally the pandemic, which did that for everyone, for all of us. And um, and had all of those things not happened, I don't think I would have found my way back. And when I did find my way back, it was with it was like those years had been my training ground for writing the rest of the book. And um I mean, for example, when I returned to it, I knew that I needed to write the very beginning. I needed to know what happened at that magic tree. I needed to know why it haunted this whole neighborhood. Um, I knew that something had happened there, but I didn't know exactly what. And so when I sat down to start writing again, the only thing I knew was that I wanted the first word of the book to be and. I, 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 that's all I knew. It, it was, that was the first word of, 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 of the novel. And, and I also could explain why I, I knew that I wanted it to feel like everything is already happening. Everything has already been happening, uh, and, and will always be happening. And, and then I also finally understood that I, I, a way of breaking up the, the, the chronology, which was very important to me. I had no interest in linear storytelling, and I really have very little interest in linear storytelling in general these days. I, I love literature that upends 
time. And, and I, that's what I wanted to do more than anything else. I think time um, is a subject at the, at the, at the center of signal fires. It's funny because it seems like the novel itself is somehow like your characters because all of your characters are so shaped by random incidents and, you know, things that are uncontrolled and the book itself was kind of created in the same way the characters were, you know, that there's such an emphasis on the book in the book on how things could be so different so easily, you know? Well, I, I think that's, that's been um, an obsession of mine for a long time. Um, when I teach, I very often read my students this poem by uh, Wieslawa Szambowska uh, called Could Have. Uh, and it and it begins, uh, it could have happened, it might have happened, it happened, but not to you. Um, you were saved because you were the first, you were saved because you were the last. I, I can't, I can't recite the whole poem by heart, but it's, 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 it's about, and I, I often use it as a writing prompt and have my students write, um, you know, something that could have happened, but didn't, um, because that's so resonant and so human. And we all have those feelings, those, I mean, Maggie O'Farrell wrote this brilliant memoir um, that I actually reviewed for the Times called um, I Am, I Am, I Am. And the subtitle of it is, I think I'm getting this right, it's um, 17 Brushes with Death. And the entire structure of the book are these, I mean, that's quite a lot of brushes with death for a, a, not, a not very old person, or even for a very old person, that's a lot. I mean, it's more it's more lives than a cat gets. Um, <laughs> but it, it was... Um, what I, you know, one of the things I loved so much about that book and so much about the, the um, you know, the, the Wieslawa Szymborska poem is that we all walk through the world with um, that always being the case. Um, so that for me, returning to the novel, already having set these characters in motion 15 years before. Um, and then, I mean, I was literally cleaning out my office closet. I mean, that the, the door, you know, we're on Zoom, so you can see it right behind me. That that closet, um, at some point, just in desperation during, you know, during the pandemic, because I was, you know, bored and tired of baking or, you know, whatever. And and there there was this pile of manuscript pages sitting in there. And it was just, and I, and I, it's something, some little voice in my head just said, sit down and reread this. Um, it was, it hadn't been haunting me. I, I just thought it was the one that got away and I sat down and I reread it and, and I, and I knew, and, and also what I knew was, oh, I've written about a hundred pages of this book, really about half the book. Um, and the first chunk of it takes place on one night in 2010. And the next chunk of it takes place on one night in New Year's Eve, 1999. So essentially the year 2000 and now we're in 2020 and that was the thought that that sort of exploded my head open was now we're in 2020 and who who would these characters have become where would they be what would have happened to them what would have befallen them and the the idea that I could give myself and the reader glimpses I didn't I had no interest in writing about 2020 per se or you know, the pandemic, I did not want to write a pandemic novel. Um, but the idea that the window shade could go up and we could have a glimpse of this boy 
Waldo, who we met when he was 11 and who we saw being born, that we could then see him as, well, he'd be a college student. He'd be 21. He probably would have had to come home from wherever he was in school. Oh, no, that would mean he'd be with his dad. He and his dad don't get along. Um, You know, where would this character, Theo Theo Wilf, who, um, after going through a lot, becomes a chef with this sort of improbable celebrity and this restaurant that, um, you know, that, that people are clamoring to get into. And he is very shy and very awkward and food is love for him. And he doesn't, you know, he lives alone. He's really kind of a loner and his, the people he feeds are his world. What would Theo be doing in Brooklyn um, right at the beginning of the first wave of COVID as it was hitting the city? Um, what would he be doing? And so that just lit me on fire and, 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 and it was like they had all been just sort of sleeping or as a friend of mine put it, they had all been in a coma <laughs> for, for 15 years <laughs> and, and they, uh, you know, they sprang back to life for me. Just sort of stepping back a little, um, I'm just wondering, having written memoir for so long, how, how did your approach, had your approach to storytelling when you got back to fiction changed? And and how had the two sort of informed each other? It was very freeing. Um, it, I mean, it's it's such a different form of storytelling because it, you know, writing fiction, you know, the imagination, you know, you're, you're, you're the imagination is leading the way. Um, and when, when one is writing memoir, memory is leading the way. Um, and so those two states of, of consciousness are very entwined. Um, you know, we don't have imagination that doesn't have memory in it. We don't have memory that doesn't have imagination in it. But the, the, the feeling in writing memoir of, well, you know what happened. So why tell the story? What's, what's, what's the discovery? What's interesting about sitting down and writing down what happened? Um, and, you know, my, my philosophy about memoir is that you're not sitting down and writing what happened. You're, um, sitting down to write in an attempt to inquire and to excavate and to discover and to learn what belongs to what. Um, but using, uh, you know, there are, there are guardrails, there are parameters, um, and and that's both a challenge and a comfort um, because once, as a memoirist, once you've chosen, you know, the window that you're looking out of, you're looking out of that window, and that's where the storytelling comes from. And in fiction, at the beginning, and I didn't have to deal with that actually with signal fires because I had I had already begun. Um, and the and beginning's the hardest part. I mean, it's all hard, but but. Um, I think it was, I think it was Joseph Brodsky who, 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 who once said, um, endings are difficult, middles are nowhere to be found, but oh, to begin, to begin, to begin. I mean, beginnings are, because there are no, there are no parameters and it's all up for grabs. And that is exhilarating and paralyzing, uh, depending on the moment. Um, because once as a novelist, you know, once, once you embark, you're 
you're narrowing the world. You're making the world that then becomes the guardrails. Um, and how do you choose um, what that world is going to be? Um, so it was a really different experience with signal fires. I'm, I will never have another experience like it because I don't have any other manuscripts in my closet. Um, but to already have had, it, it felt like I was being propelled um, and that it, so sort of the wind was at my back and I already had you know, these characters who were in motion, who had destinies that I now needed to um, fulfill for them that already really were, in a sense, mapped out. But it's interesting that these characters were from the pre-discovery you. You know, they were from the you as you understood life before you found out everything else, right? Right. Right. And one of the very, very um, surreal aspects of that is that, I mean, someone reading Signal Fires who doesn't know this would be inclined to think that I created the character of Ben Wilf, having made the discovery about my my dad and my biological father. Um, but I created the character of Ben Wilf years before I knew that I had a different biological father than the one that I thought I did all my life because they are remarkably similar. And even when I returned to the original pages and I continued working on the book, never once did I think about that. Um, I, I just didn't think about that. I thought a lot about interconnectedness and interdependence. I thought a great deal about the whole idea of, um, I mean, the, the idea of signal fires, um, you know, in the title and, you know, what they mean are, you know, th there are multiple meanings, but to me, they connoted this way in which we are um, kind of illuminating or illuminated for, e for, for each other. Um, these, these characters who all are connected, um, some in obvious ways and some in ways that are invisible to them. And, but I didn't think, oh, Ben Wilf is so much like my biological father. I just never had that thought. I finished the manuscript and I gave it to my son to read, um, who he's now 23. So he must've been like 21 or so. And he, he read the manuscript and he came into my office and he was holding it in his hands. And he said, mom, he's just like him. And like chills went through me because as soon as he said that, I thought, of course he it's, and it's, it's eerie and miraculous and marvelous and strange and uncanny, but he has the same medical uh, specialty. Um, he looks like him. He sort of behaves like him or sort of has his nature in a certain way. Um, very, um, like keeps his own counsel kind, but sort of brooks no fools, um, wants to keep the peace in his family. Um, you mean your biological father? My biological father. Um, huge reader, um, a reader of poetry, reader of, reader of prose. Um, and how, how did I, how did I dream him up? Um, years before I knew that there was a human being on the planet who I literally came from, who 
I had no, no consciousness of no clue about. Um, and yet I, I did. Um, and that, I mean, storytelling, I mean, it's like that already was literally inside me. Um, so how do we even begin to parse out, um, like how in my unconscious meets up with my imagination, did the character of, you know, Dr. Benjamin Wilf come to be? I mean, you know, storytelling taps into levels of knowing that may even be beyond the unconscious, you know, maybe it's DNA. Well, this was the first time that I felt that I have felt before, um, certainly the like tapping into the levels of the unconscious, you know, tapping into the levels of the unconscious. So um, I don't remember if we talked about this last time we spoke, but I revisited all my early work, you know, when, when I was writing inheritance and when I was trying to, I had a shelf full of books that would tell me what I, what I thought or what I knew. So I didn't have to deal with really the way that memory is faulty or the way that re- retrospect changes and skews our thinking. Um, it was there between pages and pages of book after book after book. And so when I went back and I read my very early work, my first novel, um, some of my memoirs, it was, it, it, it took my breath away because I did know. Um, and there's this phrase in inheritance, the unthought known. And my books were filled with the unthought known. Um, the, you know, what we, what we know, you know, in our bones, in our, in our, in our, you know, deepest, you know, recesses of ourselves, but we can't allow ourselves to think because thinking it would be too dangerous. I mean, that's what instinct is. That's what premonition is. Um, um, that maybe that's what deja vu is. Um, but I, 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 I really was clear on this idea that, you know, we write from this place of not knowing and the unconscious has its own coherence. I mean, I've known that for a long time, but this was a a different level of this that maybe, you know, yes, I mean, it was DNA um, because what other information did I have? I mean, I had no information. And it's interesting that, you know, again, there's a secret at the center of the novel, you know, and you talk about things that are too dangerous to discuss, right? And there is this, this sort of cancer almost that's, you know, eating away at some of the characters. And again, it feels like, you know, it's, it's, it's different, but it, it and in a way, it's some of the same themes, right? Absolutely. And, the decision or not, not really a decision, the sort of tacit agreement um, to never speak of the events that happened at the very start of the book, to never speak of them, not only with other people, not only outside of the walls of their home, but with each other and what that does to them and the way that it um, distorts and shapes and, um, you know, it poisons um, all of their lives and some of their relationships for a long time. 
But it's not until you just asked me that question that I thought, oh, well, that's what the secret that my parents kept all their lives did in our family and did to me. Um, that's, that's exactly what happened, um, in, in, in my childhood and growing up. And, um, and I have been very interested in what secrets do to us always. Um, I didn't really know why I could have told you that my parents had secrets, but couldn't have entertained that I was the secret. Um, and, and I think that the liberation that I ended up experiencing as a result of knowing something so huge that I hadn't known, um, is also, I think in large part, what allowed me to go back to signal fires. Um, I had the, it's like, I had the chops for it. I had the, you know, I, 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 I knew I had it. I was like, I was just, in fact, I was in the middle of writing a screenplay, an adaptation of um, Sue Miller's novel, Monogamy, um, for th this wonderful producer. And, and I was working on it and it was due and my deadline was there. And I called her and I said, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but I have to, I have to push pause on this right now. I can't, I can't finish this script right now because I feel like I'm holding like I, I, like uh, I'm holding like lightning in my hands, and if I and it's gotten away from me once, and if I if I don't respect that, it's going to get away from me again. It felt like now, now, go, go. That's what it felt like, and um, and then I and then I finished it, and the next day I went back to the the, the script, but I had to. I remember the way my calculus was: if somebody told me that this was going to fail and I wasn't going to be able to adapt monogamy. I would be sad because it was a great opportunity and I was really enjoying doing it. Um, but if somebody told me that I was not going to be able to, to finish this book, I, I would have been devastated. I mean, it was just, I think creative people who do more than one thing at a time have to think and prioritize what's, what's the thing. I mean, if, if we're able to like, what, what, what do I, what must I do? Because it's all so hard to begin with. And, you know, it, it ought to be the thing that 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 it, it feels would be utterly devastating if we couldn't do it. I wanted to talk to you about the narrator in Signal Fires and how much of a a character I feel the narrator is. And in some places you even see the narrator rooting for a certain outcome, you know, like there's one part where uh, the narrator says, oh, please, please let him be right or something like that. And uh, it was really interesting to see how the narrator and the narrative voice became so, so much more important than just the objective, you know, observer. Did you have a sense of the narrator as being a character when you were writing? I did. I I did. And, and when I returned to the book and I, um, but I did, I did from the very beginning. Um, but when I returned to it and I, and I started the opening, you know, I don't think of it as a prologue, but you know, it's a very short chapter, maybe five pages that sets everything in motion. The, the, you know, and the word, the word and that begins it, 
I knew I had to create this narrator who could move us through time, who could, who could offer commentary, um, who I felt as being really a, 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 a having a beneficence. Um, it's like some combination of me and God. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I had, I had so much compassion for these characters, but I also felt, um, that they, I, I wasn't controlling them. Um, so, you know, there's one character in particular that some readers find difficult, uh, Shankman, you know, and every single, every single time Shankman, um, would do something or think something or behave in a certain way where he just was just so wrongheaded. What would go through my mind as the writer slash, um, you know, omniscient narrator with a point of view, um, or narrator as character was, I would think, oh, Shankman, you know, could you just get out of your own way? Meanwhile, it's such a strange thing, right? Because as the novelist, you know, ostensibly it's in your control, but I, 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 I was rude. I was rooting for him um, because he had self-knowledge. It's just that what was, what was sort of his, his demons, his shadow, his, um, his difficulties um, were greater than the knowledge could address. Um, and, and then that formed his whole worldview. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I, what I set out to do, and I had already written, I mean, in the pages that I started 15 years ago, I had written um, a scene in which I, 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 I as, a, as the novelist, I needed to enter uh, the consciousness of a character um, with Alzheimer's. Um, I needed to enter the consciousness of a newborn baby. Um, and because I was moving around from character to character. Um, each it's like each one of them would kind of have their have their turn. Um, and you know when I when I read I I I narrate the audiobook for for um, for Signal Fires, and they don't usually let novelists do that. I mean they, they publishers tend to let memoirists narrate you know, our own memoirs, um, because really, if we can, we should, I think. But it's rare for a novelist to, and there are great actors out there who can do great jobs, but I really wanted to, and and they 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 allowed me to do it. And I had such a creatively wonderful time narrating the audiobook because I felt like I I I did, I became the narrator. Um, I was narrating the narrator and, and there was a bit of performance to it as well. Not performance, like acting it out because I'm not a fan of that in audiobooks, but, but a kind of different inflection for each one of the characters, different rhythm, different cadence, different, um, way of speaking. Cause they all do have different ways of speaking. Um, so it was this really pleasurable experience, which, narrating audiobooks isn't always especially 
painful mem memoir material. One thing that kept coming back to me uh, was our town, like yes. the stage manager, you know, and and him being a presence on the stage, and and you know he has this kind of benevolent but also almost kind of clinical view of the people and particularly with the scenes of the stars you know there's that scene in the cemetery where the the people from the town who are dead are all looking at the stars it just just kept hitting me again did you ever think about that i did um i probably not until i was finished um but i and it was pointed out to me. I mean, it's been pointed out a couple of times. Um, and that's a, and and that's a play I I love so much. Um, but I th I think that that clinical quality. I mean, I was joking, obviously, when I said combination of me and God. But, you know, in the way that I was raised to come to understand, you know, the God of my childhood, let's say is um you know well i i like i created you um but you have agency now um you 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 all you human beings you know and i felt a bit like that like i i i've created you um and i've set you in motion and now you're going to and it's almost like I had an aerial view. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm writing the TV pilot now for signal fires and I'm, I'm really loving the process because there's so much visually in terms of that kind of storytelling to do mm -hmm. with this, this neighborhood and, you know, this, this, this tree and these homes and these people who move in and out of each other's lives and who are, um, you know, witnesses to each other's lives in this very intimate way and yet may have very little in common and yet are part of this fabric of this community. Um, and that, that was an idea that I really began with. Um, I mean, I live in the country but I grew up in the suburbs and um, I mean, here, I don't even, I don't even know all my neighbors and never, never see them. I mean, maybe we pass each other in our cars, but you know, I live on 10 acres in rural Connecticut. You know, nobody's, nobody's, you know, knocking on my door, um, you know, or I'm not overhearing anything or seeing anything, but in a neighborhood where the houses are closer together, um, there's just so much and and there's turnover and there's new families moving in and then older families moving out or some, you know, people deciding to stay after their kids are grown and just all of these different layers in time um, that I, that I really wanted to explore and, um, and, 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 and saw them with a kind of, um, compassion i was going to say dispassion but that's not true at all i mean i i i i, I love them all um and you know in some cases when hard things happen to them i felt like 
I was learning that as they were learning that. Um, I didn't, I didn't have it mapped out. Um, one thing I did know though, toward the end, as I was holding the lightning bolt and getting there was one day I thought, Oh, I know, I know, I know where I want to end it. Um, and I know in what time period I want to end it. And I know the feeling, um, of people who are at the very beginning of their lives. Um, and the, you know, the beauty of that and the heartbreak of that, um, and having that bump up against art, having known them, uh, as they've, you know, sort of been through the paces in, in, in their lives. And, and that's something I've, I think in those, in that, in that decade plus of learning all sorts of things that I learned, I was also learning how to write that way. I was learning how to structure, um, I mean, my, my memoir hourglass is structured almost like, um, a mobile, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's very, very delicate and it doesn't have a plot. I mean, signal fires has a plot, uh, but hourglass has really no plot. It begins and ends in the same place. Um, but it, but it travels everywhere, uh, between those two bookends. And, and I learned a huge amount writing that book about storytelling, um, and rhythm and pattern um, that I think really informed writing Signal Fires as well. I want to talk to you about Waldo because it seems to me like he is the keeper of the story. You know, when he's walking around with his iPad, you know, it feels like it's almost a book, you know, like the way you would walk around with a book about the stars. And somehow he feels to me like the storyteller, although he's never really portrayed that way. Did you ever think of him that way? I don't know how much I should say about this, but let's just say I definitely think of him that way in the pilot. Ah, okay. So it's so interesting that you picked up on that. Um, he's he's like, he's like the wee sage. Um and he's also the one who I think offers a sense of connection to the people whose lives he directly touches um, because of what he understands um, about, about the, about the, the cosmos and, and, and the world and, and in his own um, way of moving through life, he, senses things at a deeper level than the adults around him. And so he, you know, he has a kind of, um, I love what you just said about the iPad being like a book because there's something that's a little, there's a little bit of the prophet in, 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 in Waldo. Um, and also in his being so misunderstood by his peers, by his dad, even to some degree by his mom, um, he has this kind of, um, uh, way of connecting with the world on a deeper level because that's the only connection for for a time. That's the only connection that's offered to him. But I'll, but also, I I think that when I arrived at the structure, uh, once I finally understood it, I think it would have been very difficult to read about Waldo's experience at age eleven for an entire book if we hadn't if we didn't end up having these little windows into the future of knowing that it's all going to turn out 
okay for Waldo. Um, it, it, I think those little glimpses that we have, and we even have glimpses of him well into his adult life, um, just moments, um, allows us to tolerate um, how hard it is for him to be him. And, and it also feels to me like such a human thing. I mean, wouldn't we all, I mean, haven't we all had moments of just wishing that just for a moment we could have a crystal ball? Just, can I just see that this is going to be okay? Um, and of course, we, we, we never get to have that. Plus, if we did, we might learn a completely different story. Um, but in, in the case of the structure, it allows, it allows the reader to experience the fullness of this boy's life in um in a in a very um distilled way just wrapping up i wondered um is there anything about storytelling that being where you are right now you want to explore is there any any kind of challenge that you're kind of hungry for it's a great question. You know, I always have this period of time between books where I'm kind of open, you know, where I feel very porous to whatever's next. And um, and actually, after I finished Inheritance, I really felt like, my God, I cannot imagine what's next. I feel like I'm, I've come to the end of a body of work. I've come to the end of a search that I didn't even know I was on. Um, and And then there was the great good fortune of rediscovering signal fires. And um, I learned so much about the, the kind of storytelling that I want to do. I feel like I know more, I, I don't know much about subject matter, um, but I know the feeling I'm after. I know, um, I feel quite certain that whatever I I feel quite certain that my next book will be a novel and I feel quite certain that it will um, play with time in a, in, 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 in a, in a new way. In a you know, I, I just want to keep on kind of pushing the envelope on that because it just really, um, it, it just fires me up and interests me so much. So beyond that, I don't know, but whenever I have glimmers of ideas, they have to do with, they have to do with that. Well, thank you so much uh, for making time to talk to me. I really, another great conversation. So thank you. Thanks, Dave. I loved it. The Story Talks Back is produced and hosted by Dave Stanton. The music you're hearing now was written and performed by Christopher Daydream. The theme music at the beginning of our show is an excerpt from Play by Merlin Twelfthoven, performed by Kronos Quartet as part of their 50 for the Future series. Please subscribe to the Story Talks Back on Podbean and check us out on Instagram. See you next time.